the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let's stop right there for just a second. This is John the Baptist that's being spoken of. And the writer of this gospel is the Apostle John. There'll be two Johns here mentioned. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighten every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And he came to his own, pay attention there, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Praise the Lord. We're talking about Jesus now. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received grace for grace. I hope you're paying attention. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Amen. Holy Father, for a few minutes, in the name of Jesus, we come before you now and we ask you to move in this service. Lord, we ask you to have your way and your will. Lord, today we are desperate for the truth of your word. Lord, we're not here for a show. We're not here for a demonstration. But God, we're here to hear the word of God preached without fear and without favor. Lord, I pray that you would use me as a vessel, clean before God. Lord, that you'd fill me and use me. Hide me behind your cross. And Lord, speak to the people. Lord, for the ones that want to be here today, but are unable to be here. Lord, we pray now that they would be comforted. Lord, for those that are worshiping through a screen. Lord, I pray now that you would go to them and encourage them. Lord, for every person watching in a hospital or a nursing home one that's sick at home, one that lives in another state where there is no Bible preaching church or another country, Lord, be with them today. Thank you for our opportunity, Lord, for the privilege to be in this house of prayer today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. 
And amen. Our spiritual theme this year is anchored in the word unity. I've said that multiple times now. I've preached even some message to clarify what unity is and what we're talking about. And unity as a church can only come when there is unity in Christ Jesus individually. Uh, But to have unity with Christ individually, we must have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is from the revelations of the Bible. You cannot allow man, you cannot allow an idea or an emotion to describe who Jesus is. Uh, Many different false religions, many ideas want to include portions of who Jesus is. They want certain aspects of the character of Jesus But when it comes to the entirety of what we find in Scripture canonized for us, uh, there seems to be a desire to take the bits and the pieces and then apply it to humanistic ideals and sort of construct one's own opinion of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. Here's the bottom line and here's what everyone in this room must understand. And maybe you've been saved a long time. Maybe you're just now uh, been born again, maybe only a few months. But everyone here, if you've heard it before, it's okay to hear it again. But we're going to take a few weeks. We're going to ask ourselves a very important question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But we're going to answer that question and we're going to demand that we answer that question from the Holy Scriptures, from the Bible itself. We must take a firm stance as it pertains to the Word of God. I believe with all of my heart that it is a matter of life and death. The Word of God is so important, it is so vital, it is so absolute that if you remove it from the equation or what your understanding is of who Jesus is, it could be a matter of eternal life or eternal death. You cannot have some sort of man-made construct of a Christ that steps outside the bounds of Scripture and believe in that Christ for salvation and receive genuine salvation. It doesn't work that way. You must have a biblical knowledge, a biblical understanding of what it is you believe in, of who it is you believe in. A Jesus that is not appropriately seated in his seat of lordship is not a Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is described for us. Jesus is uh, obvious for us through Scripture. There is no guesswork here. We must go to Scripture to define who Jesus is and what Jesus is. You cannot take human principles like inclusion or human principles like incorrect assumptions of love and what the love of God really is and make your own Jesus The Jesus that is real, the Jesus that exists, the Jesus of the Bible is Christ. He is the Messiah. All others fall short of this one true God. We must be firm in our stance that the Word of God is how we define who Jesus is. Would we be all in agreement this morning as we preach and teach this, that the Bible must be our source of inspiration to define who Jesus is? 
Can we all come to that term? That without the word of God, that an opinion or a description of Jesus will fall short. Yes, I must have the word of God to understand who Jesus really is. Matthew 7, 21 to through 23, uh, even Jesus himself gives some light into the seriousness of his kingdom. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are tough verses. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now how are you to know the will of the Father which is in heaven? Through the word of God. Why is there such an assault? Why is such there uh, an attack that is generational, if you'll pay attention, upon the Word of God? That culture pushes up against the truth of the Word of God. That academia must find some new way to press up against the Word of God or subvert the Word of God or to make the Word of God, the Bible, irrelevant. The Bible is the most relevant text you will ever possess in your entire life. And inside is a correct answer to the question, who is Jesus? There's more verses here in Matthew 7. The 22nd verse says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then one of the saddest verses in the New Testament. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How vital is it then if Jesus himself has warned that there will be people who have uh, the wrong idea about who he is and what he is, who have in their own wisdom professed that they know Christ and they teach Christ and, and that they've cast out demons and devils, done many wonderful things in the name of Jesus. Just because it feels good, just because it looks right, does not mean that it is right. The filter, the, the demand of God's people is that everything flows through the word of God to answer the question, who is Jesus? So then how vital is it then that we demand that our children are taught the word of God? Is it important to you? Is the word of God in your home in its proper place of priority? How important is if Jesus has already warned that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and that he will respond to them, I do not know you. Then what pressure then does it put on us that we hold ourselves to the standard that our vision of the church, our vision of salvation, our vision and understanding of who Jesus is must be rooted in the word of God. This is our line in the sand. This is our moment uh, where something might just be worth dying for. Many in the faith, many Baptists especially, uh, they bled and they died. Many of them tortured and suffered horrific deaths. So that today we as Baptists could sit here in the perpetuity of the church with the perpetuity of God's word and the truth of the word and hold it near and dear to our heart. Many of our forefathers are Baptist forefathers would give anything to have the blessing that you have to possess your Bible, to sit in church and to not fear death or retribution. We are blessed to have the Word of God and it is our line in the sand. And it's vital that we understand that today. How desperate we must be not only to celebrate our salvation but require ourselves to grow spiritually in grace and in knowledge. My heart today and through this series is to equip you. 
is to allow you to come to a better understanding of who Jesus is. And even for our young people, those that are 18, 20, maybe even going into your 30s, or if you're new to the faith, that you would be prepared to answer the question, not from something you think, not from an opinion you have formed, but because thus saith the Lord that even you would be able to answer from Scripture, who is Jesus? This is a deep dive into the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's why we are at a place, church, where we must warn ourselves and warn each other and warn young people who have access to things like YouTube and and things like sermon audio that we must hold ourselves to that standard to a place where we know when we hear someone step outside the bounds of the word of God that we dive back in headfirst into the word of God for ourselves. That's why men who call themselves pastors like Andy Stanley, what they teach and what he preaches, uh, he may call himself a Christian, but he is not a Christian. At best, he is a confused, uh, lost person. At worst, he is a pagan outright denying who God is and what the Word of God is. Uh, Pastor Andy Stanley has regularly cast doubt upon the trustworthiness and the reliability of the Bible. He's done it multiple times. And in fact, he went as far to say that the Bible uh, is the following. This is a statement that he made from the pulpit. He said, we went off to college and discovered that even though the Bible was sacred, It isn't or wasn't scientific. Even though it was something to appreciate, it wasn't necessarily something that was factual. Even though there were stories in the Bible that were inspirational, they weren't necessarily true. That's heresy. Every single solitary word in this book is true. Every truth in this book is just as relevant as the next truth. It is true from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation. And anyone who tells you any different and wants to tell you who Jesus is from anything other than this, you turn the channel. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't say names. We're way past that point. This heretic preaches to 35,000 Georgians every single Sunday and plants seeds of doubt to the authenticity of Scripture. If I do not have the Word of God today to stand and preach the truth of God's Word, then what will I preach? My opinion? My ideas? God help us. God help us. I remember a song I told the Schlossers earlier at 8 o'clock this morning. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Sing it with me. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Then you pick up your Bible and you'd go, Bible. This is the line in the sand. If you have an idea of who Jesus is that steps outside the bounds between Genesis and Revelation, then I would encourage you today to go to the Word of God and find out for yourself who Jesus really is. So for a few weeks, we will preach, but we will also teach from the Word of God. And we're going to use a form of study known as Christology. 
And Christology comes from two Greek words. It means Christ, Messiah, and Word. It's the study of Jesus. It's the study of his office work and his person. And through Christology, we will answer many important questions. Many important questions. Uh, Christology, the study of Jesus through the Scripture, is one of the most potent tools you can possess in this day and in this hour. There are so many egghead professors that are telling our teenagers and our young people in their first semester of college that the Bible is not real, that Jesus was just a good man, and that Christian principles, although they may be good, are, are absolutely ruined by things like white supremacy. If we don't start getting a hold of our young people and teaching and preaching the full counsel of God so that when they do go to college and they're sitting in their first semester, the first time that egghead big-nosed professor looks over his glasses at them, they can say, no, 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 no. I know what the Word of God says, and that's not true. Let me show you the Gospel of John. It is a spirit, a fight that must rise up in the church as it pertains to the authenticity of the Word of God. Hold it near, hold it dear, and be willing to die to possess it. It's a cherished book. It's a wonderful love letter. And it's everything that we need. We're going to answer some very basic questions. But I think it would be wonderful for the whole church to review. So Christology answers this first question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, almost every major and false religion, and even sometimes people who are not religious at all, will teach that Jesus was a prophet. They'll teach that he was a good teacher or a good rabbi. Uh, the problem is the Bible tells us that Jesus was infinitely more than a prophet. He was so much more than a good teacher. He was so much more than just a good man. I would say I don't really like calling him a good man. I like calling him a perfect man. The type of man that I never could be. The type of man I had no hope of being. But Jesus was that perfect man. And through the study of Christ and the word of God as it depicts and describes the Lord Jesus, turn to Titus chapter 2. Go to the 13th verse. It says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The study of the Word of God reveals, firstly, uh, who is Jesus? Not only is He our Savior, not only is He our Messiah, our Lord, but He is God. Jesus is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lily of the Valley. He's the Bright and Morning Star. There are so many words, so many descriptions you will find that will adequately suffice your uh, human heart to understand who Jesus is, but it can only come from the Word of God. And Titus said he is Savior, he is God. So uh, the question next that we'll ask ourselves, and Christology will answer this, is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? And, and many will say this, especially liberal scholars and skeptics of the New Testament. They'll, they will say this, will you take me then please to the verse where Jesus says, I am God. Would you, would you show me then the words where Jesus said out loud, plain and clear, I am God. Well, Jesus never uttered those exact words. He never said, I am God. 
But Scripture is full of statements that cannot be properly interpreted to mean anything else other than the fact that Jesus is God. Now for you as a Christian, that might even rub up against you a little bit and make you feel uncomfortable that someone would say something to you along those lines. Parents, you hear me, it may even be before they're out of the Buncombe County school system that someone will challenge your child's faith as it pertains to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, is he God? Yes, he is God. Here is your proof. You just read it in John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Word is capitalized. And the Word was with God. And here it is, and the Word was God. Well, how does that answer the question, is Jesus God? Go to the 14th verse, 13 verses later. It says, and the Word, capital W-O-R-D, was made what? And the Word was made what? flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and full of truth that made in the flesh is the lord jesus christ who is savior who is lord and yes he is god John 8, 58 said, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. John 10, 30, this one gives Orthodox Jews, our dear friends, much trouble. It says, John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. You can't be just one and be a good man. You and the Father can't be one and be a good teacher. You and the Father can't be one and just be a good guy, a good person walking around in Judea and Samaria. No, he said the Father and I are one because Jesus is God. And now you can prove it from Scripture yourself. Now let's take this further. If Jesus is God, and if I said he's a perfect man, how is that possible? How can Jesus be both God and man at the same time? How is that possible? Does the Bible answer this for us? Why, yes, through the study of Christology, it does. Who has ever heard of the hypostatic union? The hypostatic union. I see one hand there in the back few others the hypostatic union now this will teach you clearly and will equip you and prepare you to have conversation with people about why Jesus is all God and all man the Bible teaches us clearly we don't have time to break all of this down today but the Bible teaches us clearly that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine but here's the key that you must hold on to there is no mixture nor there is, is there dilution of either nature. This is one united person, and it's a person that still exists to this day. Take that with you. Jesus still exists in the form in which he ascended to heaven, in heaven today. He still looks the same. Whatever Thomas saw is the same thing you'll see. Praise God, hallelujah, amen. And the hypostatic union proves and it blows our little finite human minds that God, the Son who came in flesh, was all God, yes, 
and divine and holy and pure and righteous and powerful. But for your example and for my example, he in mercy and grace lived as a man. Jesus was tempted. Jesus got hungry. Jesus was thirsty. Jesus' feet would get sore just like you get hungry, just like you get thirsty. And he did it and did what you couldn't do. And he did what I couldn't do. And he remained absolutely perfect, absolutely sinless. Not one infraction ever befell the humanity of our Lord and Savior. And in his humanity, it never robbed one ounce of glory from the divine nature of God's Son. The hypostatic union. So the next time someone comes by and preaches some sort of lesser Jesus that does not belong in your heart nor in your mind nor on your YouTube account, you just go back to the Word of God. And you remember Genesis 1. Go to the verse 26 of Genesis 1. One of the most potent verses, the 26th verse of our Bible's Genesis. Hold on now. And God said, I want you to say that with me. And God said, let us make man in our image. Back up. Back up. And God said, let us. Us. Uh, Us. Let us make man in our image. Well, who is the us? God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. Who is the plurality of the Godhead? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Who would God be talking to about making man, me, in His image? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. This is the first clear indication and picture of the triunity of God. The very name of God here in verse 1-1 that you can read in Genesis and here in John 1 is Elohim. Everyone say that word with me, Elohim. Elohim is a plural form of the word El. The plural pronouns introduce a plurality of relationships within the Godhead and it suggests that the Godhead in those pluralities are in communion with each other and they're in consultation with each other. That means this, the will of God the Father is the will of God the Holy Ghost and the will of the Son. The will of the Son is the will of God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. The will of God the Holy Ghost is the will of God the Father and God the Son. You have three distinct personalities working in tandem with each other that make our holy, precious God who is righteous and merciful. Three distinct people. The plurality, the trinity, the perfect agreement of those three personalities. Now let us look to the Gospel of John. You've understood the hypostatic union. We've already answered, is Jesus God? We've already answered a basic question of who is Jesus? But now, let's go a little deeper. Let's begin to look at Jesus as the Gospel of John presents Him. As we look at Jesus in the Gospel of John, especially as we go from chapter to chapter, there are different assignments and designations that you'll find to understand who Jesus is. This first one that we're going to look at is Jesus in universal government. 
Jesus Christ in universal government. And here's how you can better understand that. These are the assignments. This is the office work of the Son in the Godhead. This is how it is represented to us. These are His assignments in the Godhead. This is how we see Jesus in that universal government. Number one, see Jesus today. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? Number one, see Jesus today as the visible image of God. The visible image of God. That which was concealed, revealed through the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, confirmed for you in John 1.15. Look at this verse. It says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, you have the Apostle John who is writing this gospel who is talking about John the Baptist. And what he is confirming is the testimony of John the Baptist at Bethabara. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And there was the dove that represented the Holy Spirit, the audible voice of God the Father, the the Trinity revealed for us there in that beautiful picture of baptism There was Jesus and the Spirit and the Father. And John the Baptist said, this is the one that you have been waiting for. This is the one that I was born to come and tell you about. You have seen him. You can hold him just as I am in the water. And for you and me, it is vital to understand that Jesus is not just an idea, but that Jesus was, yes, a physical man. John saw him. John held him. The Roman soldiers nailed him to a cross. This was the visible image of God. This was God incarnate. He's not an idea. He's not just a bracelet. He is the visible image of God so that you could see and that you can understand. Secondly, not only is he the visible image of God who is Jesus, I want you to see him today as the agent of creation. As the agent of creation. Verse 3 of John chapter 1, it gives you a little idea on the pre-incarnate work of the Son. It says, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. But in verse 16, let me reveal this to you in a different way. See Him as the agent of creation, but look at the totality, if you will, of who He really is. Verse 16 says, and of His fullness... Have all we received and grace for grace. Now pay attention, especially if you love studying the word of God. This will bless you plumb out of your socks. It says the fullness, the the Greek word here for fullness is pleroma. Say that word with me, pleroma. One more time, pleroma. Hey, I said it without a Spanish accent. Praise the Lord. Pleroma. And here in the New Testament, it is used to speak of the sum total of something. The full attributes of whatever's being described. So what John is saying here is in his pleroma, in his fullness, in the sum total of the attributes and powers of God, have all we received and grace 
for grace. And out of that sum total of the attributes of God that your mind cannot comprehend this side of heaven, know this, that for the believer, the sum total of God's attributes and his love and his provision will give you everything you could possibly need in this earth and in the next that is coming. But it also reveals in creation that the moment you step out of this building and the warm sun hits your face and you get to see the stars in a dark sky and you get to fish a trout out of a beautiful river that God made, that not only is he a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love, but he is also the agent of creation and in the fact that he allows lost people People who reject him and the truth to feel the same sunbeams that you do, to breathe the same air that you breathe. That water, that river, that sun, and the air in their lungs, they're breathing God's air. They reject him, they ignore him, some of them hate them, hate him, and he still allows them to live. This is the grace and the mercy of God given to all people, even people who fully reject him. He is the agent of creation, and in his pleroma, in his sum total, it cannot be known just how grace, gracious and merciful to all he really is. If God was fair, he'd look at earth and all the wickedness and all the sin and all the nastiness and he would say, I have had enough and he would wipe the slate clean if God was fair. But God isn't fair. He is gracious and he is merciful and he is the agent of creation. And in that creation, even lost, degenerate, wicked, low-down people partake of the grace and the mercy of God. That's powerful. Who is Jesus? He is the agent of creation. Thirdly, I want you to see Jesus. Who is he? I want you to see him today as the sustainer. As the sustainer. Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. The law can't sustain a man. The law was given by Moses and it was not a display of God's grace, but it was a demand for God's people to be holy. The law was in place to demand holiness and it pointed to the need. It pointed to the fact that grace and mercy was needed. Why? Because I can't keep the law. I can't keep the 613 thou shalt and thou shalt not. I've probably broke four of them since I started preaching. The law cannot sustain you. Religion will not work. Lighting your candles, reciting your prayer, rubbing your beads, turning over a new leaf, it won't sustain you. It may be a good idea. It may sound right. You may feel good about yourself. But what you need, man, what you need, woman, what you need, teenager or young adult, is the grace and mercy that only Jesus can bring. And Jesus is the perfect sustainer for exactly what you need. John 1:17 for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came through and by Jesus Christ. What do you need to get through this life? Grace and mercy and truth. 
One famous scholar wrote this about this verse. He says, furthermore, the law revealed only a part of truth and was preparatory in nature. The reality or full truth toward which the law pointed came through the person of Jesus Christ. The very Sanhedrin who hated him, the Pharisees that hated him, the law that they kept, all they were doing was screaming that they needed grace and that they needed mercy. All those actions, all those law-keeping days that they kept, all it did was point to the fact that they needed a Savior. Every lamb that they slaughtered, every ox that they took, every ounce of blood that ran on the redemption all of blood, blood, blood. It never was enough. It couldn't sustain. And then one day inside Bethlehem, there was a little virgin teenager named Mary and she gave birth to a son named Jesus who then went to the temple and Simeon looked at him and said, there it is. There's the sustainer. There's the redemption of Israel. He's the one. There's grace. There's mercy. There's truth. There's hope for all people. And Jesus is what you need. You don't need more religion. You don't need better church attendance. You don't need to turn over a new leaf of ideals in your head or talk to a therapist again. You need to talk to a Christian counselor and find grace and mercy and truth in who Jesus is. Are we getting some of this today? Praise the Lord. We're teaching this morning Jesus as the sustainer. And lastly, I want you to see Him as Jesus, the head of the church. Jesus, the head of the church. It says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. What you're seeing here, understand, this is the mutual intimacy. And it's mutual intimacy between the Father the Son, and the Spirit, but you're not left out. You're not cut off from this. This is the mutual intimacy where you are included. You see, when you pray, when you pray, and you pray in Jesus' name, in the perfect will of God, when you pray and you take your prayers and your supplications, you take them in the name of Jesus to Jesus. And then Jesus takes those prayers, according to Hebrews, and He whispers into the ear of the Father what you are praying. Now, because they are God, they already knew what you were going to pray. But this is the effectual action of men and women who love God, who love Jesus, who are full of the Holy Spirit, coming to a place where they acknowledge their desperate need and they pray. Lord... I can't do it without you. Would you help me this day? And that prayer is taken to the ear of the Father. And here we have a picture, and some would want to be metaphorical here and say that Jesus is just simpatico, that he's just in his heart, that the Father has a heart for the Son. But no, no, no. This is a physical, mutual intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. And this is Jesus resting upon the bosom of his Father, speaking your request, your petitions to the Father's ear. This is a holy transaction of prayer that happens with people. And because you belong in the faith, and because you're a part of the family of God, and because you are saved, sanctified, waiting for glorification, you are a part 
participant in this relationship. And you are participant through your brideship as the bride of Christ. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus loves his bride. He loves you and he loves you in a way that is structured. He loves you in a way that is full of grace and mercy and exactly what you need. And at the end of the day, you know who's at the very tippity top of the chart here at Trinity Baptist Church, even on our staff flow chart, the very top of Trinity Baptist Church is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. We're here for him. We're here for his truth. We're here for the revelation of Christ through scripture. He and the father are one. He is our great high priest, and we are privileged to be his bride. Jesus is the head of the church. So four ways today that we've seen Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the visible image of God. He is the agent of creation. He is the sustainer, and he is the head of the church. And our desire is to know more about him to have truth revealed to our hearts about His power, His capability, His love towards us. And then here you go, church, our responsibility to respond to who Jesus is. I don't think anybody heard me. Our responsibility to respond to who Jesus is. He's not just there for you to gaze at a distance. He is there for you to know intimately and personally on a one-on-one basis and to have a relationship as a living sacrifice that brings honor and glory to His name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into Your presence. We ask You to add the blessing to the reading of the Word. God, that today we would understand more and more about Jesus and who He really is. Equip us and prepare us for the dark days in which we are living. These last days before You come, And Lord, prepare us to be better Christians, to be better students of the Word of God. Lord, we need you desperately now to take this and seal it in our hearts. Lord, encourage the saints today. Lord, I pray if there be one here today that's lost and undone, who does not know you in the free pardon of sin, then Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do your work. Draw them, woo them, open their eyes, and let them see who Jesus really is. In the name of our mighty King, our Savior and our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.